Everything I really need to know about doubt, I learned from Bill Cosby. In 1963, before Dr. Huxtable, before even I Spy, Bill Cosby was the hottest stand-up comic in the country, and his most famous routine was about Noah, as in Noah's Ark. You see, Noah's in his rec room, sawing away, making a few things for the home there. He's a good carpenter. <laughs> Noah. Somebody call? <laughs> Noah. Who is that? It's the Lord, Noah. Right. Where are you? What do you want? I've been good. I want you to build an ark. Right. What's an ark? Get some wood, build it 300 cubits by 80 cubits by 40 cubits. Right. What's a cubit? Let's see, a cubit. I used to know what a cubit was. Well, don't worry about that, Noah. When you get that done, go out into the world and collect all of the animals in the world by twos, male and female, and put them into the ark. Right. Who is this, really? The humor in the sketch, and the reason it was probably funnier in 1963 than today, besides my delivery, comes from the fear of God. We're not supposed to doubt God. We're supposed to believe God, to have faith in God. To doubt God is to rebel against his, definitely his, authority. And rebellion is sin, punishable by damnation. Noah and Cosby by reacting in the most human way imaginable to this voice from the beyond, is skating on very thin ice. In the Episcopal Church of my upbringing, we used to recite every Sunday the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Ghost of the Virgin Mary and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the quick and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life 
who proceedeth from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshiped and glorified, who spake by the prophets. And I believe one Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sin. And I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. By the mid-1960s, when I was a teenager, my reaction was Noah's by way of Cosby. Right! God made everything. God had one son named Jesus, who was also God and whose mother was a virgin and who rose bodily from the dead, and so will we, or some of us anyway. In a world defined by Darwin, Freud, and Einstein, not to mention the Beatles, James Bond, and Playboy magazine, it all seemed just a little hard to believe. But I had to believe. I had to believe in order to be loved and accepted by God. Try as I might, I couldn't. So rather than be rejected by God, I rejected God. It took me a long, long time and a great deal of suffering to open myself again to the stirrings of spirit and to a different kind of faith, a faith defined not by belief but by an orientation of the heart. This faith has ample room for doubt, not as an unwanted guest, but as a friend and ally. This faith is fluid and curious, not reactionary and resistant. It's always open to new information, whether personal experience, inspiration by others, or what Michael Dowd calls the public revelation of science, reproducible, verifiable, peer-reviewed. As the Spanish philosopher Miguel de Unamuno observed, fe que no duda es fe muerta, faith which does not doubt is dead faith. Faith does not fear doubt, only orthodoxy does. Most of us who grew up in orthodox religions learned that faith is the answer, doubt the enemy. But it's not true. It's not true. Doubt is nothing to be afraid of. In a world of dangers to body and soul, doubt is a source of safety. When advertisers tell me that things go better with Coke and that smoking cigarettes will make me sexy, doubt protects my health. When an email informs me I need to update my Bank of America or PayPal account, <laughs> doubt prevents fraud. When Jim Jones commanded his followers to mass suicide, only the doubters survived. When the Bush administration insisted that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction, and threatened our national security. Doubt 
would have changed the course of history. Doubt in dogma, doubt in authority, doubt in propaganda, doubt in the news media. This is healthy doubt. The opposite of doubt is not faith, but certainty. The opposite of faith is not doubt, but indifference. Certainty is of the mind, faith of the spirit. Certainty closes us to possibility. Faith opens us to possibility. Certainty is reckless in secular matters and deadly in religion. The 9-11 hijackers had no doubt, no doubt they had faith in God. But it was not their faith that drove them to mass murder. It was certainty in their interpretation of God's will. The Buddha told a story about certainty. A young widower returned home to find that bandits had burned down his village and kidnapped his five-year-old son. Picking through the smoldering ruins, he came upon a tiny charred corpse, convinced it was his son. The man broke into uncontrollable sobs beat his chest, and tore his hair. He organized a cremation ceremony, collected the ashes, and put them in a beautiful velvet bag he carried with him day and night. One day, the man's real son escaped from the bandits and found his way home. Arriving near midnight, he knocked on the door of his father's new cottage. Startled awake, the young widower demanded, Who's there? It's me, Papa. The boy called out, open the door. It's your son. My son is dead. The father replied, go away. The boy knocked again and again, but the father was sure that some child in the village was playing a cruel trick on him. He refused to open the door. And finally, his son left never to return. Sometime, somewhere, the Buddha said, you take something to be the truth. If you cling to it so much, when the truth comes in person and knocks at the door, you will not open it. After we are disillusioned by the faith of our childhood, many of us resolve never to be fooled again. Once burned, twice shy, we harden our hearts against all appeals of the Spirit. Like a lover betrayed, we reject love itself. Not merely skeptical, we become cynical. Skepticism says, like the Missourian, show me. Cynicism says, I refuse to be shown. But between the certain belief in false gods and the certain disbelief in all gods lies a field of infinite possibility. In this field, we are free to wander, 
to explore and to play. And what better place to do it than here in a Unitarian Universalist congregation where we promise acceptance of one another and encouragement to spiritual growth, a free and responsible search for truth and meaning, and the right of conscience. Here, faith and freedom, spirit and skepticism, reverence and curiosity are joyful companions. Here in religious community with others whose ideas and practices may differ radically from our own, we cultivate compassion in respectful dialogue. Here we honor the wisdom of Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, who called faith not the clinging to a shrine, but an endless pilgrimage of the heart. Here we take the journey seriously, ourselves not so much. James Finley, a former Trappist monk and colleague of Thomas Merton, understands well the paradox of doubt. In the grace of enlightened ignorance, he says, we know that we do not know. And in beginning to know that we do not know, we come upon a way of knowing grounded in humility and filled with the mysterious potential of contemplative self-transformation. In the willingness to trust in the midst of complexity, we begin to know the peace of God. Amen. And blessed be.